0: You're listening to Historically Speaking from Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. I'm Kylie Smith, the Archivist and Museum Director, and today I have with me former Fraternity President and current Ritual and History Director, Denise Rugani, and our very special guest, Dr. Mary Osborne, Director of the Stewart House Museum. Hi, Denise. Hey, Kylie. Hey, Dr. Oz. Hi, Denise and Kylie. I am excited to be with both of you today. Kay Larson is my usual co-host but had a conflict, so Denise, you are a gem for helping to answer the question for today. Speaking of, today's question, surprise, is another one of my favorites. I promise we don't just answer the questions that I like the most, but it does help with my motivation to research.
1: As you know, many of the historical speaking issues that Kay Larson wrote were questions that others had asked about and that she had also wondered about herself. And now that I'm serving as a Ritual and History Content Director, I have similar questions and do just as much writing and research.
2: You know, I'm the same. That's why I wrote a dissertation.
0: Good. I am glad that we are all in the same boat. You're steering your own awesome doctoral ship on that one, Oz. So the question was, can you be in two different sororities? And the answer is no, at least according to the rules of the National Panhellenic Conference. We've already covered the history of NPC and other podcasts, but the gist of it is, even before those early meetings, there were casual agreements on campuses that once you joined one group, you wouldn't join another. But communication between campuses, even of chapters of the same organization, was minimal. So it's no surprise that there are records of people who joined more than one national or international organization for women. Some were likely by accident. Say they participated in ceremonies at one chapter, but didn't really recognize the significance, and so they participated in ceremonies at another chapter, perhaps on a different campus, and poof, member of two different organizations.
1: Even when I was on fraternity council, and still today, there are members we cannot find in our database, and it's thought that they went through the formal pledging ceremony, but left school before initiation. To them, they assume they're Kappas, but they're not in our membership rules because they didn't complete that second step of membership.
2: And don't forget the holes in record keeping. Any researcher knows that there are going to be gaps in the data, whether because a chapter didn't turn in their list of new members or records were lost during a fire
0: or any number of things. And it still definitely comes up at headquarters. One of my favorite pictures that used to hang at headquarters is from our upsilon chapter at Northwestern from 1888 or 1890. Everyone is wearing a Kappa key except for one woman smack in the front row wearing a Pi Beta Phi arrow. When I asked our friend Fran Beck about the photo, she noted that the Pi Beta Phi chapter at Northwestern wasn't established until 1894. So our best guess is that a transfer student arrived at Northwestern and without a chapter of her own was invited to spend time with the Kappa chapter. After all, both of our purposes are to support women as they pursue higher education.
1: What an incredible example of the Monmouth Duo. And that's not the only one since I get to talk about another, but I'll let Dr. Oz go first.
0: All right, Dr. Oz, I remember when you first told me about the long lost Stuart relative that you uncovered and her unique life story. We were both interested at first because in the Stuart family line, it seems that after Minnie Stewart and her friends founded Kappa Kappa Gamma in the charter room of the Stuart house, her descendants ended up joining both Kappa and Pi Phi, about half and half. The more modern relatives were Pi Phi's, so finding another Kappa in the line was especially interesting. So Oz, now's your chance to tell us all about one of your favorites, Ada Mariner.
2: The reasons for attaining membership in multiple GLOs likely varies from woman to woman, and I can only speculate as to the reason Ada Mariner became both a Pi Phi and a Kappa. Ada led, shall we say, a colorful life, especially for a woman in the Gilded Age. She was born on February 2nd, 1854 in Canton, Illinois. Ada was the younger daughter of Henry and Lucretia Mariner. By 1860, the Mariners had settled in Walnut Grove in McDonough County. She briefly attended Monmouth College in 1874 and then transferred to Lombard University in Galesburg, where she graduated with a bachelor's degree in 1878. While a student at Lombard, she was initiated into Pi Beta Phi. She appears to have remained at Lombard to pursue graduate study, because in June 1881, she delivered the master's oration. Ada's area of study was elocution and oration, and later that year, she moved to Canton, New York, to attend St. Lawrence University. As a student, she enrolled in a Greek course. There, on September 26, 1881, Ada became a charter member of Beta Beta, a chapter of Kappa Kappa Gamma. She did not complete a degree, but instead returned home to Walnut Grove the next year.
0: Okay, wait, I have two questions. One, Ada was born in Canton, Illinois, and then she moved to Canton, New York? That's right. That's an interesting coincidence. And then she, let's see, you said she returned home to Walnut Grove. Is this the Walnut Grove of Laura Ingalls Wilder fame?
2: Ha, ha, ha. No. (laughs) No, it is not.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, sorry.
2: Carry on. Thank you. Ada is back in Walnut Grove, but she was not idle for long, however. The Knoxville Daily Chronicle reports that she was a candidate for McDonough County Superintendent of Schools. She became the fifth woman in Illinois nominated for county superintendent, but lost the election. In the mid-1880s, tragedy befell the Mariners. In 1884, Ada's mother, Lucretia, died, and two years later, Ada's older sister, Mary, succumbed to tuberculosis. Ada did not attend her sister's funeral, perhaps because she was enrolled at the National School of Elocution and Oratory in Philadelphia. She also studied under Samuel Silas Curry and Leland T. Powers of Boston. She graduated from the school in 1887 and took a position teaching elocution at Bucknell College in Ohio. Ada remained at Buckdell for two years and then at some point in 1890 relocated to Louisiana. According to the New Orleans Times Democrat, Ada delivered a lecture on physical culture and dress reform to the women's club. She argued that women's physical education was equally as important as their mental education and advocated attire that promoted freedom of movement. According to Ada, a woman's garment should consist of but three garments, a union suit, bifurcated skirt and dress, which should all be made in one piece. Ada had additional opportunities to act on her views on physical education by teaching gymnastics classes to women in the Southern Athletic Club. These, however, are not gymnastics as we understand them. The Del Sartre and Sargent systems Ada taught deal with bodily attitudes and gestures used to improve declamation and dramatic expression. Presumably once her health improved, Ada moved to Pasadena, California. She taught English literature at Troop University for at least one year. Troop University was the forerunner to the California Institute of Technology. By 1895, Ada had returned to Illinois. She taught at White School, a grade school in Peoria for a year, and then returned to McDonough County. On March 26, 1902, she married Minnie Stewart's older brother, William K. Stewart, her brother-in-law, who had been a widower for 16 years. William and Ada divorced after only two years together. Not long afterwards, Ada's father, Henry, died, and Ada weathered more scandal with the ensuing lawsuit over his will. Sometime between 1909 and 1910, Ada sold her possessions and headed west. She eventually settled in Bliss, Idaho, where her cousin, Frank Mariner, resided. She joined the Bliss Townsite Company, of which he was the president. She served as the secretary and treasurer. The Bliss Townsite Company became embroiled in at least one lawsuit, and Ada was again accused of fraud. She died in Idaho at the age of 85 from cardiovascular disease and pneumonia. In her will, she left Lucretia and Isabel her remaining assets. She is buried in Bushnell, Illinois, with the rest of the Mariner family. As I have been piecing together Ada's narrative, I have little sense of her personality. I have only a handful of her own words and no confirmed photographs of her yet, A genealogy covering her mother's family, the Stearns, quotes her concerning her autobiography. I am not married. I am not dead. (laughs) I have found no evidence that she was ever actively involved in either Pi Beta Phi or Kappa Kappa Gamma. So why did she join? I can only theorize that a professional woman such as Ada saw an opportunity to advance her career. She may also have been drawn to the chapter's early emphasis on literature, speech, and debate. Whatever her reasons, her life does exemplify those trailblazing qualities that GLOs value.
1: Oh my goodness. Wow, what an interesting story.
2: See, this is why I've been trying to tell everyone about Ada. Fascinating, right?
1: She is. Well, Denise
0: has an equally fascinating story to tell about another woman whose membership happened in the reverse order.
1: That's right. I get to talk about Emma Harper-Turner. She started out as a Kappa at Franklin College in Franklin, Indiana. More Hoosiers, Dr. Oz. That's right. Mm -hmm. New Chapter at Franklin College was founded on January 31st, 1879 and closed on October 30th, 1884. According to the 1932 history, if New Chapter had been allowed to live beyond her five years, the whole philanthropic history of Kappa might have been changed. For the new member who promised to be the liveliest, Emma Harper-Turner begged honorable dismission in 1888, became a member of Pi Beta Phi, and the originator of that fraternity's famous settlement work among the Southern Mountaineers. She became grand president of Pi Beta Phi in April of 1890. But I'm guessing that wasn't exactly
0: a simple process?
1: No, definitely not. Emma fought hard for new chapters. Again, May Westerman writes in her 1930 history that the unpleasantness began before the 1884 convention when News' charter was revoked in what seems to have been a clash of personalities, misunderstandings, some laxity, and a switch in fraternity policy. May continued that it would be impossible to record the details without including unhappy personalities, which should be forgotten and buried rather than perpetuated in a published history. Uh, that's some historical gossip I'd like to read. Isn't that the truth? Or not, I suppose. Anyway, back to new. So new chapter was started by Yoda chapter at DePauw with six charter members. During the next five years, 35 others were initiated, a few after the chapter was closed. The members during those early years in the 1880s were young women from prominent Franklin families. At the commencement's week banquet, they entertained out of towners and local society. No case of college discipline was ever directed against a woman of new. And during the commencement of 1883, every prize but one was taken by a new kappa. How shocking it must have been to such a chapter, one that described itself as prosperous, peaceful, and happy to learn that the 1884 convention had levied a $10 fine for not sending a delegate or an excuse to national convention. General disregard of constitutional requirements and the low standard of Franklin College.
2: Ouch, that's kind of harsh.
1: I'll say, shocked, new called a meeting of Indiana chapters for October 11th, 1884, but no one showed up. An appeal was sent to the Grand Council asking for renewal or a temporary charter until 1886. The president and the faculty of Franklin College sent letters, but to no avail. The temporary charter was refused, but New continued to fight. Friendly letters passed between the chapter and Charlotte Barrow a Phi chapter at Boston, Grand President. And in 1886, Emma Turner attended the convention in Akron to continue the battle. After an appeal by the Phi delegate in Miss Turner's behalf, it was moved that a chapter be placed in Franklin College. However, by then, the feelings against the chapter had become a feeling against small colleges and the motion lost. New became a local society for a couple of years, and Miss Turner became a Pi Beta Phi.
2: Talk about a shift in culture, given that Kappa was founded at a small college, Monmouth, and just 16 years later, they had no favor for small colleges.
0: I know. The same thing happened at my school, Simpson College. It was small, and when Omicron failed to send a delegate to convention, they pulled the charter and said the school also had a low standard. So that chapter closed in 1890.
1: Well, 1890 is a pivotal year because Emma Harper Turner begged to be released from Kappa in 1888, after which she prominently became a charter member of Pi Beta Phi's Indiana Alpha chapter on January 16, 1888. By 1890, she was grand president of Pi Beta Phi, and today, Pi Phi's Emma Harper-Turner Fund is the emergency assistance fund for Pi Phi's in dire financial need due to unforeseen life circumstances.
2: That's
0: quite a trajectory.
1: And is that like our Rose McGill Fund? That's right, exactly. Exactly.
0: Well, and recently I found in another issue of Historically Speaking, written by historian Mary Silzel in 2002, she references a program written by one of pi Phi's historians, Barbara Sands Olson. Olson wrote that Emma believed in growth and it was through her constant urging that pi Phi extend to a number of colleges and universities. When she moved to Washington, D.C., she instigated the formation of a chapter at George Washington University and thus became a charter member of two of Pi Phi chapters. She's quoted as saying, we ought to have splendid chapters in every good Western university. If there were but five girls to begin with, I would form a chapter and enlist all influential women of the town and get everybody on my side before other people knew what I was about. Don't you see? This is the way others did and the way we should do. It was interesting to note also that Emma Harper Turner was presiding over the convention that decided to change the name of I.C. cirrhosis to Pi Beta Phi. Ms. Olson continued, about Emma, Pi Phi can honestly say to Kappa, thank you for your interpretation of the facts and for your bowing to militant personalities without fear of reprisal. Essentially, a hearty endorsement of Emma's transfer to Pi Phi.
1: So there you have it. Two prominent examples of rather unconventional mammoth duo, one that was approved and one that was likely not sanctioned by either group. Mm, surprise, surprise, Ada.
2: Hey.
1: <laughs> and one who
0: was in the picture at Northwestern in 1888.
1: And we know there were likely more since the earliest women's fraternities and sororities were founded in the 1850s, and Panhellenic didn't really become organized and official until 1902. It
2: sounds like with so many of our other topics, we should be prepared to do a follow-up episode if we come across more folks with the dual memberships.
1: That sounds great to me. I'm game.
0: All right. I cannot thank you both enough for tackling this topic with me. I told Mary that I've been dying to do this story for a while now, but I just couldn't get my head around the basics. You're totally welcome.
2: You know, I'm always down to talk about Ada.
0: (laughs) All right, listeners, if you have a question you'd like us to answer, send it along to archives at kappa.org, and we'll feature it in a future episode. Until next time. bye. 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 You've been listening to Historically Speaking, brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Our headquarters is in Columbus, Ohio. Our house museum is in Monmouth, Illinois. You can find us online at kappa.org, or you can peruse our digital archives at kappa.historyit.com. Many thanks to my guest co-host and current Ritual and History director Denise Rugani from the Epsilon Omicron chapter at UC Davis. We're grateful for our special guest and director of the Stewart House Museum, Dr. Mary Osborne from the Alpha Deuteron chapter at Monmouth College. Initial research was done by former fraternity historian Mary Ruddick silzel from the Gamma Gamma Chapter at Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington. And production is done by me, Kylie Tower Smith from the Omicron Deuteron Chapter at Simpson College and the Archivist and Museum Director for Kappa Kappa Gamma.
1: Thank you.